And, you know, by the end of the episode, they, they're friends, and they get along, and they have found a way to, to see value in each other. And in our world that just tears down people left and right, it's something that we need more of. So it, it sounds to me like, and, and I say that I'm, I want to like enter in the conversation as someone who hasn't watched the, the show before, so I don't, I mean, like, I, mm -hmm. I get, like, from about a couple of degrees of separation away, the, the concept, I think, that it's, like maybe in some ways other shows that are premise like as makeover shows mm -hmm. and they're sort of a here's the person before we do these things and we watch and then here's the end it, and and we live in a culture where there's you know personal makeover shows and house makeover like we're, we're great at like here's a tv show changing one thing into something else um but it sounds to me like you see in this particular show in queer eye uh something that is is different than, like, your run-of-the-mill, like, formulaic uh, makeover show? What, what, what are the things that stand out about how this show works differently? It, it's not like, um, and I guess like Susan Boyle. Like, when, remember when Susan Boyle first came out and she had that beautiful voice, but everybody didn't expect her to have, like, this beautiful voice. Mm -hmm. And then she became famous and she got all done up and she got, like, beautified to the standards of beauty. These guys don't go in there and say... You know, we're going to take this person who does not equal the standards of beauty in society and make them into that standard. Rather, they're, they're working on making you over from the inside out. Yes, you get, you, they usually get a haircut and a shave or whatever, um, but they want that person to find that self-esteem that all these men have as proud out gay men and non-binary men. Like, you know, the pride that they have of being a part of the LGBT community, they want these men and women to have in themselves, whether they're straight, gay, whatever. You know, they want them to see themselves as a person of value and of beauty. And, and I mean, they do some house makers, too. Like, they, they do some work at the house and, the, you know. Um, but, yeah, it, it's, it's more than just the superficial stuff. Mm -hmm. it, it goes deeper. In a, in a sense, it seems to me like that there may be two different approaches to the makeover TV show. Some makeover TV shows, whether it's like, again, personal physical appearance or your house, treat it entirely from the vantage point of what's marketable. Like, how, like this is what's selling in houses. Let's do this to your house and this yeah. will make your house more valuable. And other approaches that are like, we, we want you to be the most fully you person that you are, yes. and that that's, that maybe is an important difference. And instead of, there's a cookie cutter, you're supposed to come out looking something like the cookie cutter, mm -hmm. it's instead uh, uh, an attempt to get at, let, let, let's remove the layers of what other people told you you have to be, and, and be okay with, and be comfortable, and be most fully gloriously you who you are. Exactly. They, they want the person, whoever they're making over, to just be them. Themselves. They're not trying to make them into somebody they're not, mm -hmm. but they, they see this potential in whoever they're making over that that person ne doesn't necessarily see in themselves. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they help bring that out through conversation and, and working with them and talking with their family and friends and they teach them things. They teach them how to cook and they, you know, um, Bobby helps them to redo their house and Jonathan does their styling and all this stuff. And uh, it, It's just a show that... I don't know. For me, I, I just see so much love coming out of the show mm, mm. that our world is missing right now. Mm. Because we want to hold people up to this standard or that standard sure. or our standard versus their own standard of who they are. Mm. Um, 
Maybe it will not surprise the three of you that what immediately pops into my head is a reference from a comic book movie. But <laughs> over this this summer, the way our children have been surviving, slowly navigating from them through the Marvel movies, and we were actually just yesterday watching one where there's a line that's spoken to. Uh, it turns out. Um, a, a, a Thor who's let himself go after a very unpleasant episode with um, a major villain. And the line of wisdom that his mother gives him is something like, um, it's not failure when you don't live up to what you're supposed to be, but success is being who you really are. Yeah. Um, and that there, it, again, it seems weird, but like, why would a superhero need like that kind of self-esteem advice? It, it, it works in the movie. But like, there's something important about that, like, that we so often accept the... The, the cookie cutters, the, the, the patterns that other people sort of hold up, like, this is what success looks like, and if you aren't this, you're not doing it right. And that that's not, I don't think that's at all how, how the Christian faith or the Hebrew scriptures picture what it is to be um, fully alive, or to, to, to be, you know, maybe even success isn't really biblical, word, but to, to be sort of fully complete isn't I have to meet somebody else's expectation. Um, it, it's like there's this old line of uh, St. Irenaeus who says, the glory of God is a human being fully alive. And I think there's something like, yeah, to be fully who you really are, that, that's what God has made each of us to be, rather than you have to meet this or that cookie cutter. So in, in a lot of ways, even though the, the, the shows you describe it, like, like say, it's, it, faith is tangential at best to, to the way it, it is part of the, the DNA of the show, in a sense, there's a lot of points where... Uh, Christian theology, or where our faith may be directly, in, oh yeah, this is a good model for that the Christian faith isn't, how do we process people to all look the same at the end, but how do we, how do we allow our encounter with God to, to make us more fully each what we're supposed to be? And it also sounds like this show has a lot of community. Yes. That that this that this love that they share with whomever that they are working with it, it all seems to be rooted in community, both in the community that they have with each other as like, okay, you are going to focus on one aspect of this person's life, I'm going to focus on this other aspect, and somebody else is going to do this, but we're also going to bring in the community that this person already has, their friends and their family and their coworkers, and um, and I and I find that very helpful. I've also not seen this show, but... Um, you know, I can go and I can go and get a haircut and feel prettier, mm -hmm. but that's probably going to be fairly short-lived before my own internal monologue comes back in and goes, oh, yeah, you may have gotten a haircut, but your hair is still super straight, and wouldn't it be better if it was curly? Um, but it's, it's when other people's voices join in the conversation that my inner monologue, which is often skewed towards the negative, which I think is true for most people, is, you know, that, you know, it's helpful when that internal monologue is not the only voice in the room. I think, as I'm hearing both of you talk about this, it's, it's making me think there's a tension that I'm hearing you describe on this show that I think is in the best of Christian theology and, and spirituality, but we often err on one side or the other. And the tension I'm hearing is, on the one hand, it sounds like there is unconditional acceptance that's woven in this fabric of the show. It's like the, the people who are the center point, the focal point of each episode. It's not about, you're not good enough, you're not worthy, you're not loved, but no, we, we're here, we accept you. And yet, at the same time, there's some sense of transformation, not with a, you weren't, you weren't valuable until you become this 
thing we want you to be in the end, but like you have innate value, you're accepted, and we want you to become more fully yourself. And it seems to me like there's these tensions in, in I, I think in particular in like Paul's letters, about like the absolute radical acceptance that is grace, and at the same time this idea in Paul's writings of each of us is being transformed into new creations, and I think sometimes we pick either or. And you, you can find branches of the Christian family tree that err more on the, nope, you've got to be the new creation until you're good enough, until you're you know, 40 years sober, until you're you know, whatever. Here, here's a list of things you have to be. That's when you're really good enough. And others that sort of treat it like you're accepted as you are, and that means all my rough edges are meant to stay in place rather than know God is working on me as well. And I think somehow holding those together is important. Because I think it's important to say, God loves me as I'm a jerk. And yet God does not love me so little as to leave me a jerk because God loves the other people who have to live with me being a jerk and God also cares about them. So what, what I'm hearing from what you're just saying, Stephen, I agree with all that, is that the show, I guess maybe what I get from it, is secular sanctification. Mm -hmm. Okay, 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 okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that sounds like an oxymoron because sanctification is a right. religious thing, right? right? Basically, that's what it is. Okay, this is who you were when we found you. And you're a good person. But we want to make you feel better about yourself. Like, not necessarily make you better, because you're already good how you are, but let's help you feel better about yourself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. it's kind of like a form of secular sanctification. Maybe that's why, sure. as a Wesleyan, and sanctification being so near and dear to <laughs> my faith, you know, right. uh, tradition, that's what gets me, is like just seeing that transformation of taking you from a good person to a better person. Yeah. But not saying that you weren't good to begin with. Yeah. To me, like I'm hearing echoes of the Zacchaeus story and both halves of the way yeah. the Zacchaeus story goes. Like as, as a Lutheran, there's this piece of me that is so, so, so we, we tend to put so much strong emphasis on like Jesus invited himself over while he was this no good, terrible, rotten, sellout tax collector, which is true. And on the other hand, we sometimes forget the end of the story when he's been met by those loves, Zacchaeus goes, man, I realize I've been cheating people out of stuff, I've been a crook, all this kind of thing. I need to make reparations, and it is not acceptable for me not to restore relationship to other people, and I'll give back. And the end of the story, Jesus said, look, here's this lost child of Israel, he, you know, he was salvation has come to this house. Not like, because you said this thing, now you're going to go to heaven, but more like, look how love transforms you. Mm -hmm. um, not to make you something you weren't before, but like to bring out what you were meant to be all along, or, or, or who God you know, created you to be. And at the end of that, Zacchaeus is restored back to relationship with the other people in his life who've all decided that you know, he's, he's no good and they don't want to hang out with him. But it begins with Jesus' acceptance of him exactly as he is, not waiting for him to make the first move. Mm -hmm. um, and again, that, that tension seems important. And again, I come from a tradition that sometimes has an allergy towards talk about sanctification because we are so worried that it will turn into do these five things mm -hmm. or else God won't love you. Um, and I, I hear... Instead, from a show like this, uh, a rediscovery, like the, the gospel itself is about both you're loved as you are, that's gospel, and also God is making us into new creations. That's also good news, and that's not something to be afraid of. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering, since it seems unlikely that we or people that we know are going to be on the Queer Eye <laughs> television show... How can we do this for ourselves and for other people? Like, because, you know, I think within, it, it's, 
It seems unlikely, mm-hmm. especially as clergy in Western Pennsylvania, since there's already been a clergy person in Western Pennsylvania that's been on the show. <laughs> Actually, he's from Philly, I think, but yeah. Really? Okay, well, all right. Well, from Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, but it, so it seems unlikely that we can get on the show, but I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that we could do secular, san- uh, um, sanctification, that word, um, <laughs> For ourselves or for each other, right? Like, I think it's within the realm of possibility that I could be intentional to seek out this type of community. Likewise, I think that I could intentionally be this type of community for others. But I think that's going to take intentionality. Yeah. In a way, it feels to me like, and I, 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 in some ways, I don't want to make this these this equation, but like in some ways, it feels to me like what happens on this show is somewhere on the same spectrum of what happens in a twelve step recovery group. In the sense that yeah. there's both this sense of you are accepted and nobody's going to shame anybody. We're all here. We're all in recovery. And the goal of working through a twelve step program is to transform the person so that I'm no longer you know tethered to alcohol, drugs, whatever. Um, or for that matter, if you're on the codependency side and one of the, you know, the, the, the those kinds of hangups, um, and that the twelve step groups, uh, you know, AA and things like that, um, are good at when they when they are successful. They are good at holding that same tension of you're welcome. There's no shame here, and that we're glad you're here, and that you know, the, the, there's a sort of common admission of our powerlessness that that binds us together. And at the same time, the idea that we hold one another accountable in we're trying to, to grow in new ways, and that in that sense, maybe there's the 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 church has been given a mission thing to be something like this for 2,000 years. We just have often not done it. And we've often yeah. sort of become the, the sort of club mentality. You don't belong until you're fixed. And here's the only way it can look like it would be fixed. Um, or on the other hand, sort of wallet into... Uh, uh, what, what Kierkegaard used to say, he lives in a land where everyone is a Christian and no one is a Christian. Because like everybody in his day, like, well, belonged to a church, but like, nah, who cares? It didn't mean mm-hmm. anything. Um, and that it's possible for the for Christianity to do that same thing too. Of like, well, pretty much as long as you just show up and check your religion box, stay a jerk, and you know God's not you know God's not going to worry about you know, calling you out on your garbage. But that this is this is what we're what we're supposed to be doing all along, and we've ended up doing all sorts of other things in religious pageantry that aren't this idea of radical welcome and also deep transformation. So Wesley had a system for this. Oh. Was it a method? Could it, it be it, called a method? It, it could be called a method. It was very methodical. Huh, how about that? Um, where, you know, you were Anglican, you went to the Anglican church on Sunday to receive the sacrament, all those things. You became a part of a society, which was like a smaller group, um, kind of like another church service. Um, but to be part of a society, you also had to be part of a band mm-hmm. or a class. I guess a class would be the, um, the proper term there. Which was usually about 10, 12 folks. Mm-hmm. Mixed genders, mixed uh, marital statuses where you had a set of goals and questions that you had to answer each week to work towards sanctification. Mm-hmm. And, and, I mean, everyone was accepted into the, into the class. You didn't have to be the perfect Christian to be in the class. The goal of the class was to help you to grow in your Christian faith. Mm-hmm. So I see this show as kind of a very intense, week-long 
you know, 24 seven kind of class meeting, yeah. you know, in a secular, yeah, 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 yeah. you know, and so, and unfortunately in my tradition, we, we lost the class meeting when Methodism crossed the pond from England over to the Americas. It's, um, it's hard to get Americans to do more, than, like, more, more obligation, I'm sorry. Even, <laughs> even, even when we were still colonies, even yeah. like before we were really even colonies, like, um, you know, yeah, it was hard to get, um, and it, it, that's something that, uh, you know, I, I have tried, I've been a part of, like, mm -hmm. a class type meeting for years now, and it has, um, helped me greatly grow in my personal sanctification and faith. Yeah. In fact, I had to admit to my class the other day I almost lost my sanctification uh, because of a car incident and, and some traffic. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know how... I'm still trying to work out how to get that to be a part of the life of the churches that I serve. Yeah. It's interesting, too, because as you describe it, it seems like, in a way, all throughout Christian history, Christians have been inventing different structures to help them deepen their spiritual life. And when they are new and fresh, there's a sense of, we're not doing this because we just have to go through the motions. We find it valuable because it deepens our faith life. And something happens over time and things sort of like, you know, uh, ossify, like they, they sort of fossilize, you know, and then it becomes like, well, we have to do this because this is what our grandparents taught us yeah. we have to do, rather than uh, an on, but like the, the, the Desert Fathers, who were the first of the monastics, were trying to like, alright, what are the structures we can create around our lives to make us more intentional and deep in our faith. And then you get communities of monks in the Middle Ages uh, and the various orders that are part of Catholicism. It's easy, especially for us Protestants, to beat up on them and be like, oh, so you're saying if I'm not a monk, I don't go to heaven. No, that was never the point. If, if, you, if you do monasticism badly, it comes off that way. But no, that wasn't the intention. And especially maybe for us in Protestant traditions, it can be really tempting to be like, oh, we don't, we don't have any of those rules. We just, you know, God loves you as you are and see you in heaven. Um, but no, like there's there's value to structure, but sometimes we forget that the structures are our inventions that we need, not that God has commanded them. And sometimes yeah. we that's the problem is that we end up after a generation or two turning it into well, if you don't copy this structure, you're doing it wrong and not acceptable. Not and now we've sort of reinvented the whole problem in the first place. Yeah. Now I'm back to oh, now I'm not good enough. Um, and the, the, the church has 2,000 years of resources for how to create different kinds of structure like that. And if we have the sense of there's freedom in using it well, great. If this structure is helpful for you, good. And find other people who can share a structure and a pattern for, you, for your collective life that, that helps you to be deeper with God. But don't confuse the pattern with God either. Uh -huh. Um. In, in a way, all of this reminds me of, um, there's, a, there's a quote of Paul Tillich that comes to mind. I think he's, it's a sermon of his on Romans 5, probably. Um, but the, the line goes something like, the gospel is um, simply the, 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 the call from God, accept the fact that you are already accepted. Um, mm -hmm. And in, in a way, it feels to me like that's at the heart of the show I'm describing. Mm -hmm. And I wonder what it would do. I mean, for all the other ways, I might disagree with Paul Tillich about other stuff. There's something about that that feels very like, yeah, maybe that's what it is. That like, we have such a hard time accepting the idea that we're accepted. And when, when that happens, when we can be like, oh, I really am accepted, a lot of the rough edges in me drop off. A lot of my defense, a lot of the reasons I get edgy or cranky or fussy with other people are really about my own insecurities. Because I'm afraid of what will other people think, or am I not good enough, and things I do 
um, or even envy, or I, you know, I want to get what you have. And if I really am secure and I'm accepted, I'm accepted, I'm accepted, then um, I don't have to be a jerk in all those other ways. And so yeah. it, it feels to me like, in a sense, that, that this is why the radical welcome and the radical transformation are connected. That, that it's not transformation for transformation's sake, but it's transformation that comes out of when you realize you're accepted. Oh, you don't, a lot of, again, all the other garbage stuff can be let go of and we can become these new creations. And I think that hits the nail on the head for, this, for what the show is all about. Mm -hmm. Just accepting the fact that you're accepted. Mm -hmm. I mean, all the guys that are, are the lead roles in the show have accepted the fact and have found that community in which they are being accepted mm -hmm. um, by being LGBTQ. Um, and they're just trying to help other people realize that you can be accepted too. In, in a sense, part of what that also says to me is the, I say this to our shame as organized religious people, that it is a, a sad thing when the church that is meant to be this community gathered around this, this gospel of God's radical acceptance and love for us so often we're the, we're the antagonists or we're the enemies in stories like these. And then instead of like, um, yeah, I, you know where I really found I was loved? It was in the church where somebody told me I was loved, but so often it's, I had to leave the church because the church told me I wasn't good enough or you know, I didn't do these ten things right. And I had to watch this cable television show to discover the possibility that I could be accepted as I am. Um, and, and again, it, it brings me back to your question, Sarah, about like, what would it look like if we re- if we re-examined what it is to be church together and said, like, this is what matters. How do we become a community of this, this message for each of us? Like, and we not just, like, pick a, pick a church member each week and say, surprise, we decided we're going to make you over. But, like, our collective work all the time was, how are we all working on each other and being worked on by each other? And to me, like, that is the... I guess that that's the the, the, the mind-boggling thing to me that like convincing me God's got when anything good happens in the church, it's gotta be the spirit. Because it's yeah. we're, I'm used to picturing like when, when I'm working on a wood project, like it's here's the sandpaper, here's the wood, this thing, you know, smooths this thing, it's a one-directional kind of a thing. But in church, it's a bunch of jagged people who are smoothing each other collectively. It's more like a bunch of rocks at the ocean as the water like keeps rolling over each other and the rocks are smoothing each other down, the water's smoothing each other down. Eventually, we're going to get smoothed down. Um, but the, it, it's uncomfortable sometimes to admit that God uses people with jagged edges to smooth me in places that I don't want to admit I even have jagged edges. And it's humbling to admit that God could use people I don't think worthy because, oh man, they've got all these other problems too. How can God use them? No, God's using them. To, to, shame, to shape me, and God's using me with all my jagged edges to shape somebody else. That's my covenant group, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and like, I, I'm not sure any of us are really comfortable without a lot of work in even admitting that that's the situation. Because we like to imagine, uh, each of us likes to imagine we're spiritually mature, and why couldn't everybody see things the way I do? And we're like, no, I got jagged edges that I don't even want to recognize. And also that God's using people I don't think are worthy to, to shape me, while also God's using me in all my inferiorness, not good enoughness, mm -hmm. to shape somebody else. Wow, well for, for a show that is, is not necessarily run-of-the-mill um, uh, Christian fiction sort of thing, <laughs> it seems like there's a lot of gospel to be found. 
Oh, definitely, definitely. And I still have more episodes to watch, so we'll see how much more gospel I can find in it. Fair enough, fair enough. Well, good. Well, uh, we hope you'll join us for further episodes in the conversation in this series as we keep looking at examples of pop culture and where it leads us for reflection in our uh, Christian faith lives. So join us next time here on Crazy Faith Talk. See y'all. Goodbye. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.